Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast B-Side. Sorry we got a little loop-de-loop uh, mixed up ordering here. That's because sometimes life doesn't allow things to happen the way you expect it to. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your lives before, things not working. But if you have never, then I'm afraid, spoiler alert, sometimes things don't work great. Anyway, here we are. Uh, Trifina, hello. And hey, hey. a special guest, Amy Ryan, who has been on the podcast and on the old edition B-sides that were just on Patreon before. Amy is my pastor and one of my best friends. So, hi. Hey, <laughs> glad to be here. So, uh, we've been trying to record this B-side because we always do a B-side. And especially like this interview, this discussion was so interesting and so fun and so layered. Uh, but here we finally are. And we are all kind of coming in hot today. We have had various... Uh, things in our lives that are just like amping up the temperature. So uh, just to forewarn you that, <laughs> that we, we are all coming in hot today. So deconstruction, how about that? Anyone deconstructed here? <laughs> oh, did you, Amy, did you catch my deconstruction joke that I like threw in on Sunday when preaching? When I was like, I was preaching from John 9 and talking about how it says in the text that the Jews had had been banning people from the synagogue who became followers of Jesus. And so in for setting the context for John 9, I told the church, uh, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone's wondering if Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, but they're wondering privately and secretly. There's like mumbling and muttering and whispers going around. Do you think Jesus is going to be here? Is he really the Messiah? Who is this guy? Right. It's it's happening, but it's happening in secret. And then and then I couldn't resist. And I was like, like deconstruction. Like, have you deconstructed your faith? <laughs> oh no, don't tell anybody. You'll get in trouble for that. And it just yep. slipped out. It just slipped right out. <laughs> and I thought, ah, well, <laughs> it, made me it made me smile. So <laughs> It was a great message. Thank you. Yeah. I think That's it's true. Though. Oh, go for it, Amy. No, I nope. said it, it's been good. Like just even we've been as a church just talking about deconstruction and, you know, kind of getting the taboo out there. It's kind of like this word that so many look at it is like, oh, no. And, and but yet they don't really have an idea of what it is sometimes. And so it's been good just to talk about that and then bring more understanding, right? Even in those little ways, those little jokes. Mm -hmm. I think it's so powerful because words have so much power. And I think especially within the faith community, so many words have negative connotations, right? Like even recently, yeah. there was a whole thing around the word woke or around like yes. feminism or patriarchy or um, deconstruction. And I think it's like, it's so amazing that you're just you're normalizing it it's like we're all going to walk through a process of deconstruction in some way at some form in our experience um which is kind of what i loved even about this conversation you guys both all three of you started off the bath the bat not the bath um but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a monolithic <laughs> three white dudes in a bath <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh gosh here we go <laughs> um but yeah it's not a monolithic experience right like it is very everyone's experience will look different based on their social location. Yeah. Uh, and that is why this conversation is so important to say, okay, like your deconstruction may look different than my deconstruction and that's okay. There's no one right yes. way of doing it. That's so true. Yeah. yeah, precisely. And like 
I think it was really helpful for me to just be reminded like this, this is a much bigger, like Brad's words were like, this is a much bigger historical project. Like that goes back to Moses and the golden calf. Like this is smashing idols. And our Bible is literally full of this. <laughs> like, yeah. On the one hand, it's like, why is this even controversial? But I guess on the other hand is, well, it's always been controversial. So it'll continue to be controversial. Having the spirit open your eyes and deal with your idols it remains a thorny, tricky issue. Yeah. I found like just sitting down with lots of people and having conversations where they're just like, Amy, deconstruction is so bad, you know, and they're just really putting pressure. And then when I just, you know, start to break it down, like it is taking out idols. And and that's the language in the church that is very recognizable, you know, okay, taking out idols. I, I can understand that, you know, and, and we're looking for the things in the church. And then they're like, well, there's nothing wrong with the church. A lot of people, you know, there's that fear, you know, like, I don't want to, I want to honor my parents. So I don't want to say anything bad that they did, or I want to honor the church. And some people don't want to recognize some of the systems in place and stuff, you know, especially sometimes men. <laughs> and so it's, it's just like, oh, actually, these are some things that are going on in the church that are not okay. And as you start to name those things, then they become more like, oh, yeah, well, I could see how you'd want to deconstruct that or reconstruct whatever the word you want to use. But what what I really found that's helped me is using the word reformation. And so I'm like, the church needs to be reformed to Christ. The church needs to look like Christ. So we need to take down, get rid of these things and reform to something new and good and whole. Hmm. Yeah. I love, I love that. And I love that part of like wholeness. Um, so when Mark was, I don't know why Mark, my husband was talking about deconstruction in a sermon, like kind of like you, Jonathan, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to slip out. Um, but he was explaining it in a way. So I, I have a gluten allergy. And so often when I go to a fast food restaurant, I will order a burger or a breakfast sandwich and I'll order it deconstructed because if I just say, Hey, I want it lettuce wrapped. I will get lettuce around my bun. Right. <laughs> it's like, I just want the bun, the cheese, the meat, the tomatoes, like all of it separate. And I will eat what I can eat because I still want the nutrition. I still want the fuel, but I don't want the parts that are going to harm me. Yes. And that's so he was good. like, try that's in the same way. What we are doing as a faith community, you still want the meat, yes. but you're taking out the parts that have been harmful to your body and your soul. So. Right. Unless meat specifically is is what's not working for you. And That's so you exactly. can eat bread and you can eat this. And it's like, yeah, and we're all in community. This is, I guess this is the part of the challenge, right? Is we're all in community trying to discern how do we move forward? Okay, when this part is the part that hurts somebody else and that part is the part that was life-giving for somebody else. Now, I see, I think also like that, okay, on the one hand, this plays out in community. And so it's weird when you're up close and somebody's saying like, oh, I need to come free from the Catholic church. I grew up in the Catholic church. It was really toxic for me. I had all these particular things that I was taught and it really, and I'm just, I'm really worked up about the Catholic church. And, the, and then I'm like, oh, huh. Cause I baptized my kids Roman Catholic like four years ago. And it's been really, really life-giving for me. That's tricky and weird to do yeah. in face-to-face -face community, let alone when you then abstract that to social media faux community. And it's like- internet international multinational like i've watched my you know folks that i know in england or in new zealand get really confused when i'm pushing back on purity culture and i'm saying purity culture harmed us in all these ways and i've got people saying like i do not understand 
what it is that you think is good about promiscuity. And I'm like, where did you hear me say that promiscuity was good? I didn't say that. I'm saying purity yeah. culture harmed us in all these ways. And, and they're saying, when you say purity culture, all I understand is that we shouldn't be sleeping around. I'm like, okay. Yes. Well, when I say purity culture, I am talking about this whole thing, socio-cultural, economic, religious reality of the 90s and early 2000s and so on and so forth that harmed us in all these very specific ways. Okay, so that does, those words don't even mean the same thing to you. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do we even, the words mean something, the journeys are different. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we, it's not monolithic. No. But it's like very even hard, I think, someone has to even talk about. And yet, like when when we get into it, like Amy, you're saying, like when we start to unpack it with someone, mm -hmm. a lot of the time I'm finding, especially like folks, like one of my mentors was like, oh yeah, like we were we were all doing that when back when we were in our 20s and 30s. Mm. Now we're just in our 60s and 70s and we forgot. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, just don't forget. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just got like this whole stigma around it that's like, oh, everyone who's doing it's just walking away from God. Right. And everyone who's doing it in this kind of idea in some in some places. And it's just like giving the language and the understanding and the listening and and then clarifying is so important. Right. It, it, just like you said, with the purity culture, I found that so much like people like, oh, I had a problem with purity culture. And then I'm like, oh, why? And then I began to realize how purity culture was toxic to me. But I was like, like you said, thinking it was a specific thing. And then when you get more understanding, you're like, oh, okay. And so it's just so much more. Can we let go of our rightness of our, mm -hmm. our like black and white, this is my way, this is your way. And, and can we learn to come to the middle and listen to each other and all grow in realizing that we're all deconstructing to some extent or reforming, you know, to a more Christ-like way of, of life is where we want to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, should that not be the daily process? Yeah. What did you want to say, Trent? Oh, just, I agree. It should be a daily process. And I was going to say, I feel like we don't do this well, but as a culture and a society, I do think we are moving towards doing this well, even in like our educational system, understanding that there is not just one type of learner, understanding that, you know, that pendulum is going to swing in how we're going to look at like pe like educational pedagogy. I think of, okay, so as a child of immigrants, this is like, I know this sounds like it's coming out of far left. Um, my parents are immigrants. So they moved to the country and like without being intentional about it, the mindset is to assimilate. You're you're going to fit in. You're going to speak the language. You're going to speak without speak without an accent. You're going to not smell like her. You're going to do all of these things. I'm then going to be a first gen, and I am going to want to be nothing like my parents. So even more so than them, I'm going to reject my culture. I do not want to speak the language in public. I do not want to do all these things. I then I, and I'm very hesitant to be proud of my culture. Second gen, these children of mine friggin' take fish curry for lunch and <laughs> language and are so proud of it. But there's a part where just philosophically and anthropology, like anthropologically, I'm not, whatever. You, you know it. what I'm trying to Like this, the spectrum, like the pendulum is going to swing and we know that it's going to happen. We right. acknowledge that it's going to happen. Like I just, I go into having second gen children knowing they're going to embrace their culture in a way that I have not been able to and their children more so. And then it's going to go backwards. But for some reason, 
even in our faith world, we're not okay with knowing that it's going to have to swing in your twenties. You're going to go through this really big, like critical thinking space of having to unpack the world around you. And as you move towards your sixties, you are going to solidify what has worked for you and be okay with that. But then we forget that the next generation is going to have to go through that again on its own with different topics. So we're going to have to unpack purity culture. Generations before us have had to go through civil rights or whether it was like Holy Spirit movement or all like, you know, and I mean, these go in cycles, but I, I love when Richard Rohr talks about like, we're constantly having to move through these cycles and we should just acknowledge that this is how life works and it's not stagnant. It's not linear. And then we would not be so shocked every time this happens. Yep. I've been thinking a lot about how like the next revival rejects or the the previous revival and the people from that seem to reject the next revival and the next revival. Yeah. And I keep thinking about that and how that, you know, it, it's, it's exactly as you said, right? You solidify this works for me. And then you're like, but what you're doing now, that's not what you should be doing. You should be thinking like I've, yeah, I am and come to what I have come to, you know? Yeah. That's so good. And I think that's such human culture, right? Like the next revival, the previous revival rejects the next revival. I think of even like as women, I am like, oh my goodness, parenting is so hard. Life is so hard. This season is so hard. And then I see young, like moms who are younger than me. And I'm like, how are you struggling? What do you mean? Like I was like, that should not be that hard. Don't you know how hard this season is? Like we always look at our journey. And I mean, understandably, we only know our journey intimately, but we always look at our journey as the hardest journey. And so when we find a way that works, we're like, what do you mean? You didn't find a way that works. It looks like mine. Like it's very, very interesting, which is okay. Sorry. Which is why I think this conversation is so important, even that we're having today, because I loved listening to you, Jonathan and um, Jonathan Martin and Brad Jersak unpack it. But the reality is your social location is three white men who are white men of privilege and you acknowledge it, you talk about it, but it still doesn't change that that is your social location as well. And so I think it's so important that we unpack what deconstruction can look like in different communities, different genders, different cultures. So even when Bradley Jerzak was like, well, that's why his relationship with Lisa Sharon Harper is so important because he can't just throw out all of the church. He can't just throw out because then he'd be throwing out his experience of the church, which is white evangelicalism yes, and not acknowledging black church or other um, ethnic streams of how they do church and they do theology. So. Yeah, I, I think the quote was, if in your deconstruction, you walk away from the church as this thing because it's full of white nationalism uh, and you don't investigate the life and gospel happening in the black church, then yeah. your walking away is still an act of white nationalism. Yeah, it's so like, good. Hey. <laughs> Which is definitely like, you know, obviously, we'd just spoken with Lisa ourselves and that, you know, having to work through my issues of social location with her and us us doing that together. Um, yeah, I'm really intrigued, like just kind of tying tying this all together. Like the, the white feminist movement <laughs> failed to do anything for women of color. Yeah. Like this is a known thing. Yeah. And I... I I, re- I recognize I'm speaking from a distance in that. Mm-hmm. If we're going to continue speaking from a distance, I've observed ways that the gay community has 
not been generous towards the trans community. And this kind of thing of like what you're saying, like my life was the hardest life or it was sort of like, I had to do so much to carve this out. You're not about to get a free ride. Yeah. It's really un- a really unfortunate, <laughs> like a really, really tragically unfortunate attitude. Like surely, surely we could come to a place where like, this was so hard for me. I would not want anyone to go through what I had to go through. Like, is that not what, yeah. like when we're in, a, in our health as parents, is that not like we want to offer our children an easier, better experience than we had? We don't want to have them to have to fight all the same battles we did, right? Yeah. So I think the interesting part is when, what you said when we're in our health as parents, because absolutely we want our ceiling to be their floor. We want them to yeah. not have to go through the same traumas we've been through. But at the same time, how often are we like, you think your life is hard. I had to walk up a hill both ways yep. in like five <laughs> feet of snow, right? Like okay. every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Like we're also reminding them of how hard it was for us or also, and I'm hesitant, like I'm, I am guilty of this. I have still not allowed my kids to go for a sleepover because of my own sexual trauma. So then I'm like also very protective of them. There's a line of being protective and there's a line of, well, my pain is also now sheltering you and I need to figure that out. Right. So I think you're exactly right. What's like when we're in our health, we don't want them to go through the same pain, but even protecting them from the same pain cannot always come from a place of health and wholeness. Right. Yeah, that's when in the podcast that really hit me was that when Brad was talking about some of the pastors and they they had walked away and they were kind of mentally completely destroyed. And it really hit me and about like doing it with the Holy Spirit hmm. and like, letting your deconstruction be led by the spirit. And I was just like weeping. And at the same time, he was talking about being steamrolled by it and then good one day with it. And then another day and all of the kind of the trauma that you're dealing with, the pain that some of this stuff caused and, and also the freedom side of it. And then I think it just really hit me that, you know, in my journey, I've been led by the spirit in this, but yet being rejected by so many, even still, you know, in that. And I think it's like this need to like, you need to think exactly like this or like this. And it's like, no, I'm, I want to be led by the spirit. I don't want to fit into any mold or in any box. And even in deconstruction, right, there can be these boxes that you want to tick, that you want to fit into. And every everyone's journey with the spirit is different. And everyone's traumas are different and everyone's things are different, but it's just like really clinging to the spirit in that, but also trying to recognize people going through that and being like, I see that you're being steamrolled. I see that this isn't easy. I'm going to walk with you in this. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was just like weeping through that stuff. Just Mm -hmm. all of that just so resonated with me. The, the one day I'm like, this is freedom. This is so good. The next day I'm like, all the drama, all the trauma that this is causing, all the pain. I feel so alone, but also feeling the spirits leading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have so much respect for you, Amy, because you're doing this. You're not just unpacking your faith and unpacking your life experiences in private. You are leading a church. Yeah. Like that is not an easy position to be in, to also be in leadership and trying to shift culture and unpack. And I think that's what adds to the trauma 
yeah. in so yeah. many ways. And listen, there are many days I'm like, I'm just going to go hide under a rock. <laughs> yeah. Do this by myself, me and Jesus. But the fact that you're continuing to persevere in it, like that's like, so admirable. Yeah. Because, yeah. And I think it's like with your communities, there is this feeling in you of how much do I show how in pain I am or how much do I share and how much, you know, and I, I kind of, I think I've even said this to Jonathan. I was like, uh, I don't want all my sermons to just sound like my drama or like my pain. And I'm like, come on guys. You know, I'm like, I need to get some like happy stuff in there to find them bad balance. Oh goodness. <laughs> It's so hard. And then even when you speak about like the some days you're good and some days you're not, yeah. I have days where I'm like some days certain worship songs are so triggering to me because I'm like, yeah. theologically, this is a mess and this was harmful in my life. Yeah. And there's other days that I'm just like, I just need some nostalgia and I need to sit and listen to it and like weep under it. And like, and I think that's like, th there's going to be the back and forth and there's going to be the like, okay, well, I want to also not only speak from my trauma, yeah, but also elicit hope and life yes sometimes that's not where we're at <laughs> and this is like that mess right of like we still want to like I don't know I feel like I say this all the time I'm like people are like how are you doing try I'm like ah you know it's been hard but yeah. but I'm seeing hope but I'm like what is this but why does that always yeah. have to be there I know right um, that's even a thing that needs to be deconstructed yes <laughs> This need to have everything tied up in a nice neat bow. My favorite part, like, I mean, there were so many beautiful parts of the conversation, um, was he was quoting, oh my goodness, I can't remember, but he was telling a story and it was a story of a theologian who had kind of written like a fictitious story of somebody. Oh, Dostoevsky. Thank you. Yeah. And the Brothers Karamazov. Uh, Go on. Sorry, say that again? The book is called The Brothers Karamazov. Okay. Okay. And he was kind of talking about like the person, the person in the story had fictitiously lectured Jesus that right. freedom mm. was too big. It was too big for the church yes. to handle. And so the church had to then go and, and like say yes to the temptations from the wilderness and create its own structure and kind of give into the way, not given, but it had to create control and power because that's how the rest of the world worked. Right. And it reminded me of the Israelites, when they were, God's like, you don't need a king. And they're like, we need a king. We need a king. Do you not see how the rest of the world functions? And then God's like, okay, well, you're not going to like it. Here's your king. Yeah. And how did things go, right? Even we've talked a lot about this where, so we are in leadership at church. We are in this quote unquote ministry world. And yet yeah. so aware of how broken the system of church is. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, if I'm honest, like this is church to me. This is as like sitting around and being present in each other's lives and having honest heart to heart conversations um, and allowing Holy Spirit to move. And yet we still have made church into a power structure where there's still one person or two people in authority. It's still a very top down leadership. It's still more like, well, we're going to tell you how to think because we're going to share on Sundays how we should think. And I'm not criticizing anybody. And like, I'm just like, this is like, I'm part of this system, right? Yeah. Um, and even like Brad talked about Eden, like this is like patriarchy when we tell people how to think and how to function and the whole system is broken and our churches are part of that system. And so that's the struggle, right? So if we're deconstructing and unpacking that and how like that wasn't Jesus, Jesus wasn't telling people there was one way. He, I mean, he was the way, but he was very 
like, okay, so wherever you're at, like, let's come alongside and figure this out from where you're at based on your trauma, based on your story. I'm going to sit with you and be present with you. And our current structure doesn't lend to that. Yeah. We can't do that. Even like you, like you guys joked, like, can you have a church of a thousand people? Is that really church? Yeah. I don't know. I it definitely just, I, was thinking of you and Mark when, oh, thank when, you. <laughs> for listeners who don't know, uh, Dry Venus husband and Mark, uh, Lakeside is a larger church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was definitely and in my mind. <laughs> I love it. And I, and like, and I struggle with it. Cause I'm like, we definitely feel like we're here right now for a time and moment. And I feel so loved. It is like our community and I love our church. I, and this is not about our church. It's about like the entire structure, right? Like every time I hear, I was talking to someone recently and they're like, oh, those pew warmers. And like those pew warmers, you mean the people who have been hurt and need to just show up and receive? Like, isn't that a beautiful thing? But then in my head, I'm like, why have we created a culture where you need to show up and receive? Why do you need to show up on a Sunday? Why do you need to like be here? Why don't you have the freedom to just be at home napping? Like it wouldn't that also be helpful? Like just every part of it has levels of power, and control and what we believe our faith needs to look like that fits in this little box that isn't, as Amy, as you were talking about it, like isn't allowing us to just actually be present with what Holy Spirit is doing in each of us right now. Mm-hmm. Right? I, like, I, I wrestle with this every single Sunday <laughs> that I turn up at church Yes. and I sit there in my pew in the second row because that's the spot that has been adopted <laughs> by my family and I faithfully <laughs> return there. And my life is really full, as you know, and full of a lot of up close, high contrast pain. And oftentimes in worship, I can't even stand. And there's three things that go through my head usually. One is, I remember the Jonathan that used to always be right up the front, so passionate, so engaged. And the worship leaders used to thank me for being there and because they could feed off my energy. And so the first thing is I'm letting the worship leader down. Yeah. The second thought is everybody looking because I'm up here in the second row. And so everyone who's looking at me from behind is like, man, this guy is on the leadership team and he preaches and he turns up and he sits down and that's all he can do. And we're all here standing up worshiping and all he does is sit down and sometimes he even pulls out his phone and is on his phone. Now, let me just say that if I'm on my phone, it's because I'm tweeting some like hot revelation that I got in the moment sitting there in worship. <laughs> uh, and typically Adam is then being like, whoa, that was amazing. I'm like, I got that in worship when I was sitting there looking like I was depressed. So mm-hmm. that's a whole thing. And then like the third thing is I'm like, maybe it's maybe it's my fault. Maybe I need to just push through, Jonathan. Maybe I need to force myself to stand up even though I'm physically exhausted and emotionally numb. And I just need to raise my hands in praise and maybe that will break something open and it's my own fault that I'm missing out on it. And like, I wrestle through that every single time. And I'm like, how much of that is my ego? How much of that is like me fearing expectations of other people? Well, this Sunday happened to be in a great space and really Mm. enjoyed worshiping and was on my feet pretty much the whole time. Except for the moment that the invitation, I guess, came forward for our whole church to come forward to the front because I went to the bathroom because I was (laughs) preaching and I was like, this is my window to pee. And when I come back, 
everybody of the church is at the front row, which I haven't seen in three years. And I'm wow. like, something happened while I was peeing and I missed it. And all of my revival trauma flared up. And I was like, I missed the move of God. And then I thought, no, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. I talked myself off that cliff edge. <laughs> oh, man. It's so I, true, though. All those voices, right? <laughs> the pressures and the, the back and forth. It's crazy. It really, really is. No, I was like, I was, I'm like, I can just reiterate everything you said. And then I go <laughs> to like every thought. I'm like, well, I need to be helping create culture. So I need to be on my feet. And also worship is my warfare. So I need to be warring in this moment. And also like certain pastors. Is this how I fight my battles or is this not how I fight my battles? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah. then, you know, like there's, there's pastors who are like, well, even if you're not feeling it, you're honoring that the presence is moving in the room. And so you're like, you're just acknowledging it. And so you're standing there with your arms up. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Actually, I'm on the floor rubbing a kid's back who's like in their own distress, but secretly I'm okay with that because it allows me to hide behind that. Yeah. Because that's valid. Yes. Because that's that, yeah, a valid that... way to not engage with church worship. It's right? so that's complex. acceptable. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's but so complex. Like Uno on the floor with my kid is not complex. Like it's not acceptable. Right. It's this, it's, Ugh. it really makes me very aware in these moments when we're talking, so circle back to deconstruction. Yeah. I'm packing that sandwich. How much is in my sandwich that is not Jesus? Cause I'm like, now I'm worried about church culture. Now I'm worried about setting precedents. Now I'm worried about leadership. Now I'm worried about fighting battles. I'm worried about how I parent, how I like all of these things doesn't come to under loving God and loving people and loving myself well. Like if I was to look at those three things and look at the gospel, like it's not there. But when we kind of go back to that unhealthy structure of control and power that we've had to put into place. Yeah. That's the stuff that's coming back to me. That's the stuff that I'm like, Hey, well, I'm not actually like being a good leader and that's control and that's power. And I'm not, you know, I'm not fighting my battles, which when did our faith become about us fighting our battles and not being still annoying that God is God. Mm. Yep. Right. I don't know. That sounds like power to me. I keep thinking about that idea of like the wild freedom. Yes. That Jesus gives. And then like the fear over here. Of like, and and all of the the things that are placed on us, just like Jonathan and you are saying, it's just like I got to do this and this and this. And what if someone sees this, they'll think this. And and it's it's so it's so crazy. And we put so many things in place that Jesus didn't tell us to put in place, but makes us feel comfortable or it gives us a a, a way forward that feels clear mm-hmm. to some extent. And it's it's so complicated, but it's just like, how do I move back to that wild freedom? Yeah. How do I move back to that without feeling I need to be this or I need to look like this? And 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 that's a question I've asked myself so much. I've never wanted to do church, just like the, you know, uh worship, MC and and speaker, and then someone people want prayer, and then y'all go home. Like I've always wanted to be like how can we do this differently? How can we, you know, maximize every person here feeling seen and used and, uh, and empowered and just how, how can we do this differently? And, and it's been hard to find that and just, and, and you, people come in and they want it a certain way because they've always known that. 
It's like, ah, it's that's so it, right? And that's this like the thing of like the spiritual agoraphobia. Like people yeah. don't know what to do with freedom. And I and I'm the first one on that list. Yeah. Like, like I don't know what to do with a wide open field yeah. possibilities. It's too much. And yeah. <laughs> which is not a critique on God. It's just, I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm so unfamiliar with yeah. this concept. Right. And so again, why do why so why do we do the worship and MC and speaker and come up for prayer? Everybody who turns up is what expecting that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, and who's the pastor? Ah, oh, and hello, pastor. And are you his wife, Amy? Uh okay. <laughs> hello, pastor's wife, Amy. And, and Amy's like, no, nah, more like he's my husband. Go talk to the pastor's husband. He's standing over in the corner. And um he'll be emceeing. And uh but it's like all those expectations, right? It's like, okay, and, and how do we join your church? And is there a membership process? And, you know, where is your statement of faith posted? And how can I make sure that I'm doctrinally aligned? Mm-hmm. And everyone knows the drill. Yes. I'm like, how can we just like prevent those people from coming to our church? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I'm the same. I say I want to do it differently. I know. Right. And we're used to system and structure. And so we find yeah. safety in that as unhealthy as it is, because then I go to follow someone new on Instagram and I have to like read their bio and I have to click their website and look at like, well, where are they aligned in terms of this and that? And have they like, have they like spoken out about like anti-racism? Cause then I don't know. I don't. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I am the problem. I'm like, I'm like the Taylor Swift song. I'm like, I'm, I'm the problem. Like, <laughs> I'm, so I'm like, <laughs> But it's like I, we like in our own ways perpetuate this where even in relationships, right? We're looking for people that fit into our box or align with us, whether we intend to or not, even as a parent, I'm like, who do I end up like having play dates with? People whose parenting works with my parenting, right? So like, and we just naturally end up in these, even though I'm using the word naturally, right? Like we just end up in these spaces where we are safer with people who align with how we think yeah and continue to perpetuate this problem of like oh we could just blow the whole system up and do something totally different yeah but that like i actually like my brain doesn't know how to do that i okay so i'm 34 and i realize i don't know how to create i have for so long i have looked at instructions i've looked at how to draw books i've colored in coloring books i have looked at pinterest and been like i can copy this idea it's not until i've started to see like my five and seven year old more so like my five-year-old just like shoot the shit with their art like really it's like i'm just literally the other day she's like i'm just drawing butt cheeks and like it makes (laughs) zero sense and they don't really look like butt cheeks and i'm like oh you can just create out of nothing like you don't have a box that you keep yourself in. But as we grow up, we continue to like learn that, oh, like systems and structures are good. A nine to five job is good. A paycheck that comes like once every two weeks, that's good. Cause these are all safety things. And it's a lot of unlearning to back out of that, let alone within the church world and the faith community to be like, oh, like my God is bigger than that. Like my faith doesn't need to have a, this is for sure right. And this is for sure wrong. And this is for sure how I'm going to practice it because I'm going to read my Bible every morning. I'm going to fast once a week. I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to like be part of a small group because these are things that are going to make me a good Christian. Sorry. Now I'm on a soapbox guys. This is when you said we were coming in hot. This is not where <laughs> <laughs> oh. So 
Yeah. This has been on my mind again in another another way, but I think it's what we're talking about. It's like it comes back to it's like a, a through line here because it's the same with like generations of revival and one group not extending the capacity and grace to the next group. It, it's like the only option is some kind of radically forgiving um, openness, right? Where where we can get to say, okay, these things I'm not okay with in terms of like, you don't get to violate my body. You don't get to cause harm, but, but I'm still going to bless you to go and pursue the spirit the way it needs to look for you. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to demand that you come to the same things that I came to. Yeah. You are still free. Like if the freedom is that big and radical, oh. right? Like it kind of is, has to be free for everybody. And so um, there's this, this is a series of sci-fi novels that I'm reading and it's like nine books long. And for eight books, it's this group versus this group versus this group versus this group. And it's over and over and over. And it's, and they keep reiterating how this is all of human history. This is all we've ever done and all we've ever known. And in the end of the eighth book, I don't know where this goes because I haven't read the ninth book, so I can't even be too spoilery. But <laughs> but there's a group that's starting to intuit. Maybe there's another way. Hmm. Maybe the way we stop this cycle is not just bombing the oppressor, is not just like as they're kind of like a terrorist up down. They're 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 really the freedom fighters that are right. uprising against this this tyrannical empire. But they're but the leader has basically come to this point where she's realizing maybe we can, maybe it's right that we take away their weapons. Maybe we blow up their capacity to dominate us. But maybe we don't harm a single civilian. And maybe we say, starting tomorrow, you're all but you're all welcome in the new world that we're building together. Like maybe it's amnesty. Like maybe that's a word we can use here. Like, wow. like what happened is not okay, Yeah, but everyone is still welcome. And I don't know how to do that, but I feel like it's what also the spirit's calling me to. When like just last week, I had somebody register for the seminars that I'm doing in Finland. And I was super thrilled because like these are still early days to see people sign up. And then two days later, this person asked for a refund. And I said, okay, I can totally do that. Just wondering if, if I could hear what your cancellation reasons are. And basically this person was like, I'm not sure if you're teaching sound doctrine. And this, I don't know what this person knows about me. Could be nothing, could be something, could have heard rumors. I can't even speculate. But, but I, I felt like... I felt like I had a bunch of options, right? One, I can just refund this and move on. Two, I can refuse to refund it and be like, no, there are no refunds. Your, your money is mine. Uh, three, I can uh, push back and like argue and defend and be like, well, what is your issue? And I can defend it and I can prove I'm right. And I'm like, but isn't that power? Isn't that patriarchy? Isn't that all of these things? Or I can say, hey, you should absolutely follow the spirit in discerning what you should be taught. And if the spirit is leading you away from me, I want you to be faithful to that. Mm. And I don't know how, like that, 
there's like new muscles that I'm not familiar with and I'm not always sure that I'm doing it right. But I feel like there's something in there that says like, okay, we're going to deconstruct our faith because we're going to tear down idols. The spirit is calling us to freedom and we're going to move into that freedom and we're not going to hold back and we're not going to be afraid and we're not going to bow down to the leaders in our denomination that don't understand it and that are afraid and that are like poo-pooing the things that we say and do. But we're also welcome to say, hey, like, we would like to remain in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Some of you are our friends. Some of you are our family members and mentors. We might even need to move on denominationally. But that doesn't mean we hate you or want you to die or burn. Like that just means we needed to find something that was life-giving for us, but we really hope you're still finding something life-giving for you. Yeah. I think that's where it's, it's like the world draws a line in the sand. And you're, you have to be in this camp or that camp. And it's just like the way of the kingdom of, of God, like he's like, you're not taking sides here. Mm-hmm. And and there there isn't a left or a right. And sometimes I like how Brad Jerzak said that, like sometimes I look like I'm on the right or sometimes I look like I'm totally on the left. Um, but I could be any of those things at a certain moment in time. Um, but I, I don't want to be on either side. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hit me too. It's like, I feel like the same. And when you're not completely on their side or their side, they're like, you need to make a choice. You need to take the stand. You need to do these actions. And when you're like, no, I, I don't feel that I do. And I feel, you know, that I just want to love both parties or 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 just shut your mouth and not defend yourself walk mm-hmm. away, bless them on their journey, even as they're attacking you, just all those different things. It It is so foreign, but it's, and then that's a, its own form of deconstruction of just like, this is the way that Christ did it. This is not the way the world teaches or most of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like learning that, you know, I don't have to be left or right or have a firm position this way or this way, but I'm on this journey with the spirit. And can we bless that, right? Like you're saying in others to go on that journey. I love how nuanced that is. Like that's so big. And it's, first of all, Jonathan, good on you for finding a through line in all of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I, it's so, that's so expansive. And when we talk about the love of God being big and expansive, that feels expansive to me. And that feels equitable and justice focused. Cause even when you're talking about like, this person doesn't like feel like your teaching is sound doctrine to them at this time. If I had read You Are Enough 10 years ago, I was not in a place, I was not healed up enough to have heard it. Now, that's not to say that. (laughs) Now, that is not to say that this, I am more healed up than this person. I'm just in a different place in my healing. I'm just in a different place in my journey. I'm in a different place culturally. I think of even how we take theology and thought and it is very patriarchal and it is very white I think of psychology so I've had a very hard time over the years finding a counselor who is a person of color who understands my family story and my family journey and the immigrant journey that's like it's like sorry I'm like filtering what I'm going to say a little bit here because it also does speak to just personal journeys but I also I think there is a part where if you don't understand my story and my family story, the advice you're going to give me is going to be very 
white. It's going to be very patriarchal. How dare you allow someone do, to do this to you? How dare you allow someone to speak to you? And I'm like, you don't know their journey. You don't know their story. You don't know yeah. the cultural nuances and inflections and the way theology has been taught or colonization has been played out and all of that. And so I think to say, hey, I want to bless you with where you are in your journey. And I'm yeah. not going to say that one person's doing it right and one church is going to do it right. Absolutely. Do we want to uphold the fact that everyone's body is safe? And, you know, that there are basic human needs being met. Absolutely. Do I have issues? Do I have, I have core things in my life that are absolutely important to me. And I believe the spirit has led me to those places. Can I be in a place where the spirit is not honored? No. Can I be in a place where women cannot serve or the, yeah. it is not inclusive and equitable against um, race and diversity and sexuality? For me, those are issues. Yeah. Those are like, those are cornerstones. However, I am learning to honor and respect that not everybody else is in that same place and they still love Jesus and yeah. Jesus still loves them and they're still made in the image of God and I still have a lot to learn from them. And that is really, uh, really hard. And it's possible that, that your lack of judgment for them, that your willingness to be open to them or to become open again to these people, it will be the very thing that will soften their hearts and open their eyes that the spirit will yeah. use you. Oh, I mean, you, that use language is so word, yeah. problematic, but you know, like it's complicated. Mm -hmm. um, I was just reading uh, John Stackhouse, Canadian theologian and historian. He's got a book from some years back called Finally Feminist. And he's essentially... It's essentially like it, it's to a conservative, complementarian-oriented audience, and he's laid out a, a case for egalitarianism to that group. Okay, so this is not going to appeal to a group that is coming in liberal or progressive or, or whatever kinds of words you want to use. But one of his points in there is the Gospels and this and Scripture is very focused on the Gospel, on the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there are issues that they don't tackle. Mm -hmm. They don't tackle all of the equality issues of the day at that time because they are the thrust is the freedom that comes in Christ. Now that brings already a, a controversial level of freedom, right? Even like obviously what's happening all around Jesus, the Sabbath, you're doing this on the Sabbath, you're doing that on the Sabbath, right? For, for, for Jesus to be like, oh, also no slaves. Like, you know, right. we are meant to get to that point. That is meant to happen. There's yes. a trajectory in human culture where we're meant to take the freedom of Christ and go, okay, now let's apply it in this area. Now let's apply it in this area. Now let's apply it in this area. But but what that means in all the decades and centuries in between is that there's going to be people like what you just said, Trifina, trying to decide, hmm, how do I stand here in the fullness of my integrity and what the Spirit has called me to and all the freedom that I have and that I need now to maintain safety? Because that's wild. Okay, segue. Our foster daughter is like... Our social services essentially said to us, you have established such a level of care and safety in your home for her that any move will be traumatic now. 
Mm. And so what that means for you, Trifina, and for me is like, now that we're sitting in these spaces where, where we feel safe, where we need in our integrity to support inclusion on sexuality and gender and race and all these different things, it becomes traumatizing to have that taken away. Yeah. So, okay, we can sit there, but how can we then say, okay, but I can still appear on this podcast with this individual who doesn't have this perspective. Can I, is that safe? I have to evaluate that, I guess, case by case. Yeah. But maybe I can be all things to all people that I might save some also. That's and you it. and I had this conversation even recently, Jonathan, of just sometimes showing up in our integrity and in our safety means that we don't have to show up as all of ourselves. And then I'm probably using the wrong language around this, but just the idea of like, yeah. I can go into a conversation with friends and it does not need to be a robust sociological conversation. Yeah. We can sit and shoot the shit and that is okay. I don't need to bring that side of Trifina into this conversation in this moment. I don't need to, and there's a, there's beauty in that. And I think that's actually part of our freedom that not that we are, you know, switching and passing who we are in our personality and, you know, in our, in our belief systems, but that actually we get to choose, like my husband will hear all of my opinions. He knows yeah. all of my thoughts, much to his chagrin. He gets calls in the middle of the day. What happened? Not everyone's going to get that. No one's going to know how... Yeah someone hurt me on the regular if I don't like that that's that's what Mark gets from me right yeah. and so I think there's a beauty and there's a safety in that and but also I can go into places and still love as Trifina and love holy and yes. even if we don't agree on everything because really who are we going to agree on everything with like that doesn't I don't, yeah that's not honest either that's as really trying to fit back into a box and into a mold yeah that's a return to yeah control. that is yeah and i think it's like such learning the wisdom of when to engage and when not to engage with so much of this deconstruction mm -hmm. so much of you know feel putting feelers out sometimes in those conversations and stuff and but also it's like how do i be present as myself Mm -hmm. How do I, and I've, I'm an extremely vulnerable, open person. And so it's been interesting in this journey, feeling like sometimes you're hit with a brick in the chest or whatever, wanting to be your totally authentic self, but not being accepted as your totally authentic self. Um, and so trying to navigate that and learning, yeah, how, how am I going to engage? How much of myself am I going to engage? Um, and how much do I just yeah have to hold on the inside just because mm -hmm. it isn't safe and that's that's really hard but also having that love for everyone and learning to understand their journey and where they're at and that's just it's a beautiful hard thing <laughs> I I completely get that yeah I've been realizing that though I am so used to policing myself no, policing is the wrong word but I <laughs> judge my my worth based on other people's opinions of me. So mm -hmm. and I'm not saying this about you, Amy, I'm saying this about me, yeah. where I totally. will overshare about my life yeah. because I, I need someone else to affirm that this is actually really bad, or this is actually really hard, or this yeah. is actually really good. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like part of my vulnerability is my seeking affirmation yeah. versus I'm like, I can, can you stop 
this conversation right now and please change <laughs> topics, Trophy. <laughs> it's too real. It's too real. I've had enough. <laughs> this is the problem though when we all talk though, right? Because it's like our I'm like, I I see like we I don't know. You guys talking to my crap. This is very much calling me out on all of my stuff. <laughs> I'm still feeling cold out about the way that I triage everyone I choose to follow on Instagram. <laughs> you just put it on the mic. Yep. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I cut you off, though. Like, no, you were I don't even know. I was just, I don't know what I was saying. It's okay. It's, it's just really hard. And having this level of freedom is really hard. And offering it to others and having space and grace for others is really hard. And we were having this conversation offline even before about parenting and what does it look like to have freedom for our kids yeah. and what is like our kids having needs and what is our kids being manipulative and needing to be like, you know, quote unquote disciplined and like, what the heck? Like it's, if, it's and will they learn the lesson that this yeah. is the way that they get what they need that if they scream at the top of their lungs like and so am, am i setting them up for a failure yeah versus are we just honoring the freedom for how they're learning to communicate yeah. and set boundaries for their own bodies and if i'm honest i want to walk around the world screaming at the top of my lungs a lot and maybe <laughs> i should be and maybe that's like me fitting into systems and structures by not screaming, because I'm trying to be the good Christian woman. Okay, now we're on a whole other conversation. I got to just rein it in. Someone else talk. I'm like, where am I going? Oh, man. <laughs> God. It's all those pressures, just constant. Like, there, there's a million things that you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And then there's everything in between and figuring it all out. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's so honest and realistic like that. I think the, the fact is that deconstruction is not just this faith thing that's happening. Like, I think, yeah. obviously, let's be clear with our language. There is clearly a movement yes. happening within the evangelical, post-evangelical, America-centric church. It is not strictly an American experience, obviously, yeah. but, but it seems like the backdraft that was inevitable because of this kind of major media evangelical push, like post Billy Graham, like, like this is almost like the reverb from the Billy Graham movement, I feel like, mm -hmm. that ultimately we all had to sit down and go, maybe it, maybe faith runs deeper than putting my hand up at a, at a crusade one time. Yeah. And maybe all of the things that then developed as a result of that, no, no shade on Billy Graham or anyone else's, mm -hmm. uh, Sincerity. Um, maybe all these other things that developed, we need to now evaluate, right? And so, yeah, that's clearly a movement that's happening within mm -hmm. the church. And mm -hmm. I think, as Brad and others hinted at, and I've said publicly, I think it's absolutely a move of the spirit. And I'm willing to say, I think it's the most significant move of the spirit since the charismatic renewal. Yeah. Also, this process is something that's just always got to be happening in our own lives, in our yeah. hearts, in our minds. The decolonizing aspect of that, the mm -hmm. understanding privilege and social location, the, even just to, down to the mystical level of like how much of what I do is just my ego striving for pleasure and safety in a self-centric way. Pleasure yeah. and safety are not bad things, mm -hmm. but the ego tells me 
I, I'm the only possible source of wisdom regarding mm. pleasure and safety. That's mm. where the ego gets us in trouble. Mm. And so it's like, well, that's okay. That's happening with my children. So I'm deconstructing at night with my daughter, trying to figure out, is this just that I'm tired? <laughs> Am I just being bitchy? Or is this actually a need, an unmet need that needs to be like, what is this yeah. moment by moment? Holy Spirit, help me. Oh, God, have mercy. Mm -hmm. One thing I found in this journey that's been so beautiful that's come out of it is like the compassion. Mm. And like, like when you haven't been given compassion or you've gone through all of this, you're able to now sit with people in their different journeys and their many different experiences and traumas and just really sit with them and, and hold that compassion and hold that, that pain with them in such a deeper, beautiful, more profound way. And I found that is one of the greatest things that has come out of just learning that God is so much more loving than I ever imagined. And Jesus gives so much more freedom mm. and, and, and all of these things that I've, I built up that aren't of him and I'm having to let go of, which is painful because it's been a part of my life since the get-go. But as I've done that painful work, I've been able to then hold so much more compassion for people who have walked away, for people who are are in their own very painful journey with with God and and not feeling like he's even safe and just holding that space with them and sitting with them and not having to fix everything as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Christians, we just try to fix each other and just use Christianese or Christian words to just be like, well, God can do all things. Yeah. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So just buck up. You got this, you know, and just instead just sitting with people and like not having the answers and just holding that compassion. That's one of the things I've been most thankful for that's come out of me in this journey. Mm. So good. I yeah. love that so much. I think that's actually the biggest gift you can offer somebody is to actually just sit in their pain with them and not try yeah. and have to fix it. Yeah. Like the instinct to fix even in myself is so high, right? Like, yeah. I'm in discomfort. This must be solved immediately. What, should, what, what possible options do I have out of this right now? Yeah. And so to sit with someone, mm -hmm. right, and not fix is like a tacit admission that like... It's okay to hurt. Yeah. There's actually not a problem here beyond this, the, obviously the injustice of suffering and trauma. I find my, my most, the word that I use a lot now is like, yeah, that's, that's not okay. That's not okay. I'm so sorry. And just rubbing their back. And that's about it. You know, a lot of the time and just being led by the spirit when there is a time to speak into it. But a lot of times it's just holding compassion with them. Hmm. I actually think like that practice in itself is us like decolonizing our faith. I think we're actually returning yeah. to a more holistic like Garden of Eden way of living and in viewing each other. I think, okay, so I'm about like, this is like a trifina moment. Okay. So I think of even like our scientific revolution or industrial revolution where everything became systematized and everything became, so it needs to have a solution. It needs to have a, like a reason and a purpose. And we don't just 
post, you know, the wars, we're not just frivolous with our money. Everything is useful. And so then our theology and our thought and our way of doing things was everything has to be useful and productive. We were yeah. part of like a very agricultural space where everything needs to be productive, even our parenting, right? Yeah. Even the way we're raised, something is wrong with you. Hey, it's okay to not like, it, it's not like, oh, it's okay. It's, sorry. It's not what you're doing, Amy, where you're sitting and rubbing someone's back and you're like, wow, that's really not okay. It's like, oh, shh, sh- don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. We try like, it's like, we don't sit with discomfort. Everything yeah to be useful. If there is discomfort, it's because we're being used by God because our misery is going to be our ministry yeah. and, and it's going to be turned around. Ugh. I know, I know. Why do they all rhyme? Why do they all have alliteration? <laughs> no, but it's like, there's no space for just sitting in the mess. There's no space yeah. for sitting in like tropical countries where you know what, it's too hot and I'm just going to go take a damn nap in the middle of the day because that actually is the healthy yeah. thing for me to do. And I and you know what? We can just sit around and have tea in the middle of the afternoon and yeah. we're just going to be together. We don't need to be solving the world and creating systems and structures for everything. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that is what we have done. And so you actually stepping back and being like, you know what? That really sucks. Yeah. And that's horrible, but I'm not going to try and fix it. We're just going to sit in this together. And if you need me to walk alongside you in it, that's beautiful, but I don't need to create a system for you. I don't need to be your accountability partner. I don't, not that these things are not beautiful and healthy in some ways, but you are giving them agency in their healing. The power of like psychology and having a therapist is not just your therapist is going to tell you what to do. They're going to mirror back to you what's happening in you. And they're going to give you space to figure that out. Yeah. Which what is what you're doing. You're mirroring back to them, like God in them, the Imago day in them. And that to like, that is so powerful. Yeah. And there's nuance in that. There's space for it to look differently in different people. So true. So good. I loved the quote. If Jesus is the center and this is the table, or this is his table, who's invited everyone. <laughs> that made me weep again. Just, I think that's another thing. It's just like the welcome. Mm-hmm. Jesus wants to deconstruct in us to get to that place of just welcoming everyone to this table. And I think that's at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing is he wants to bring us all from, like Brad said, alienation into a form of communion. Mm-hmm. And will we, I think that's what he's doing with his church in this deconstruction movement. Will we be a people that will let go of our rightness and all of these things and sit with people in their stories and listen and create a table or a place where it's just like all are welcome to Jesus's table. Amen. Mm. So good. 